and welcome to a Muslim and a Jew unlearning. Um, Okay, so we have episode three today about Israel and Palestine. Part three. Part three. It's going to be, you don't hear me echoing, do you, Zena? We have a new technology situation i'm using a microphone i really hope it works because we have heard your critiques and your demands for better audio and we was will that that was that david you. who said we had to use a microphone yes <laughs> <laughs> okay so we're going to talk about three types of peace efforts right yes um Stuff that's been done by Israel and Palestine leadership, international organizations, and government efforts, then grassroots movements in Israel and Palestine, and like educational efforts. Yes. Yeah. Okay, awesome. And then we do want to clarify that doesn't we're not going to end this with this is what the ultimate solution is like it needs to be a one state or two state or three state no like we're not going to go into that we're just going to go into what needs to happen first before we even discuss like what the solution can be um and then also we are um outsiders technically i mean uh julia is in israel right now but because literally <laughs> we are not within and from the community of course we recognize that and we know that in the end the decisions need to rest within the community who lives within israel and palestine themselves yeah so we did compare our role here as to our roles um as teachers so when you go into any community but especially a low-income community as a teacher you should not be going in with the mindset that you can save your kids um, because you're, because of your perspective or your experiences or the way you live your life being the superior. Um, you have to go in with the mindset of wanting to educate them the best that you can and to empower them to make any change that they see fit um, and how they see fit in their own communities. So, And I want to also mention that the biggest part of teaching is you teach based on your students like they tell you what they need and then Mm -hmm. you respond to that you do not go in thinking this is what they need and like and all be all they yeah so we have no solution obviously if we did we'd be famous um and we're not going to explain or choose a solution that we think is best or the right one Mm -hmm. but we'll talk more about the peace process and the importance of that and things that resonate with us. Absolutely. All right. Do you want to talk about the first type of piece? The first type of piece <laughs> is what always process. fails. The first type of piece is what's organized by governments um, yeah. and leadership. So we talked about a few different efforts last episode. Mm-hmm. Um. There's literally such a long list. The I didn't even know about the Madrid agreements in the early 1990s. Then there was Oslo, the Oslo Accords. Um, 
another round of agreements, Camp David Accords, the Arab Peace Initiative, early 2000, then basically 10 more years of Israeli-Palestinian peace talks. More talks, more talks. I don't even know why they're char characterized differently. Then Abbas had a peace plan in 2014. Then there was the quote-unquote Trump plan, the Munich group, uh, another round of talks called the Quartet Developments, and there's also been a lot of alternative peace proposals. Mm -hmm. um, and despite all of those talks and agreements and processes, we um, have not gotten anywhere. So yeah. why is that? Because, I don't know, why do you think it is? Well, I do want to um, talk about a specific example. So the Oslo Accords, for example. Mm -hmm. um, to premise what well, like the Oslo Accords, um, of course, that's going to be the United States coming in trying to, you know, mediate a uh, solution between Palestine and Israel. Um, but before that, in general, we have to think about like w the United States sentiments um, about the Israeli and Palestinian conflict before. And so... In general, um, dating back to the 20th century, century, sentiments regarding Muslims and Arabs were represented as already backwards. Um, I have a quote by Theodore Roosevelt where he said that um, the presence of Islam as a religion in the region was naturally resistant to societal development. So the United States has constantly been a facilitator in these agreements. So clearly they are a very biased um, facilitator. So, for example, the Oslo Accords, they were supposed to represent Palestinian Israeli efforts to settle their differences, but it proved to be an utter failure because of U.S. biases. So the 1993 agreement, which was facilitated by the United States, stated that Israeli troops were to withdraw from select majority population regions. Um, so the regions where Jericho and some parts of the Gaza Strip, where per Palestinians predominantly lived, um, and they made up only about 22 percent of the state. But the agreement essentially gave Israel 78% most of their settlements and their borders, which monitor and contain Palestinians within the Gaza Strip. So essentially, the agreement like benefits one side more than the other. Um, and in the end, um, Israel did um, renegade that agreement and they continued to build. Um, so and then nothing was done. But like that was more like on the United States at that point, because they are going in with these biases and like uh, other countries feel the same, like the United States, like there are, there is one side that's a favorite, which is why you have to have an unbiased facilitator um, because it's not going to work this way. It just won't. And there so, really isn't mm -hmm. an unbiased facilitator. Exactly. Exactly. So um, I think like government go outside government involvement should just be, honestly, really out of the question um, because of these biases. Interesting. I also would like to apologize if I've been talking kind of weird. There's like, my voice sounds weird with this microphone, so I'm getting used to it. <laughs> um, I wanted to mention why I think that peace agreements and processes haven't worked is that it's there isn't a focus on the people involved mm -hmm. and like the relationships between Israelis and Palestinians, there's just a focus on land and organization and like politics and governments. And I don't think if you don't have Israelis and Palestinians genuinely engaged with each other and also the process, it's ever going to work. 
So one other type of peace effort that we, I don't think we'll talk that much about today, but that is important is joint economic effort and development. If you, I'm not going to say this as if it's my own thought. My dad told me when he lived in Israel and when he was in the IDF that the only time he, I hope I haven't said this before on the podcast. I know I've told you, Zana. But the only time he genuinely saw Palestinians and Israelis get along and cooperate was when there was some type of mutual economic benefit. 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 I seriously can't. I can hear myself talking. And it's so weird. <laughs> um, benefit and slash incentive. I just put those two words together when I tried to say benefit. Anyways. You're doing great. You're doing lost great. my train of thought. <laughs> um, and I honestly 100% agree because I'm also thinking about, um, in general, just random efforts that are happening, like, here in the United States, for example, like, people who want to address climate change are some people are actually going in and trying to do research about how it's actually profitable to care about climate change. So it's like to create an economic incentive for the rich to finally do something Mm -hmm. about climate change, they need an economic incentive, which is very unfortunate. But I think what you're talking about is probably like more wholesome because I mean, in the end, there's another thing, actually backtrack. One thing my professor, Dr. Johnson, mentioned um, in class was that in order for change to happen, for example, within education, it requires a personal sacrifice, too, Um, because Mm -hmm. most of the time people who create change, they agree to the change because they benefit from it. Um, And then once it no longer proves as a benefit, the change that goes back, Um, kind of like with the civil rights movement, there were so many things that passed and then it got pushback for example all the voting rights legislation that passed in the 60s it all became optional Um, because law without policy without social change does nothing Mm -hmm. exactly not nothing so exactly so like in that case yeah creating like some type of mutual economic agreement but at all the same time creating something that's mutual between them like finding like a common ground between them because if you think about it they all are from the region like the levant like that that they're all from there. So like, I think the education part is extremely important in there because um, if they understand that, you know, all the ethnic groups in the Levant, you know, those are Jews, Maronites, Kurds, Turks, Turksmen, Greeks, Assyrians, Kurds, Jews, Armenians, Arabs, you know, we're all from that region. So I think if that was truly educated or pushed, or yeah, exactly taught, then um, I feel like, with that, we can create more commonality because right now the, their focus is more on how they are different rather than how similar they all are. Very, very, very similar. Um, so I think we need to focus more on like that. And speaking of education and having things in common, English is something that most of the world has in common. It's um, just like a gateway to the world. Uh, And because of globalization, English is just increasingly important. So so a way that English has been utilized as a similarity within Israel is through um, bilingual schools and shared education, which are two very similar, but from an education lens, different 
models of education. Uh, but there are bilingual schools in Israel that teach Jewish and Arab Israelis. Um, and they use all three languages, Hebrew, Arabic, and English. And then there are shared education programs that have um, Arab sector and Jewish sector schools partner. Um, and the kids learn together just for English classes, um, not the schools aren't quote unquote integrated. Um, and I personally, obviously we're both like in education. I personally am invested in the educational peace movements um, because I think it's what allows it, it to start from the, from the ground up. If you don't have the majority of Israelis and Palestinians and then within Israel, Arabs and Jewish Israelis, actually wanting peace and cooperation more than they want to win an argument about land, um, nothing is going to work long-term and 100%. sustainably. And, and at that, the bilingual programs like that you mentioned, like bringing them together, we talk a lot about like biases. Like how do you get rid of your inherent biases? How do you address like your internalized racism? All those type of things. And the biggest thing that you can do is exposure. Expose yes. yourself to the groups that you have bias against. Um, that's why integration in general, within the United States, education and integration is extremely, extremely important and is the key. So right now we have more segregation there have, than mm -hmm. there ever has been, which is why things are so poor because, you know, because of white supremacy and racism, resources are more so allocated in um, areas that are more white and everyone else is left um, in the back. But integration, if everyone is intermingled then resources will be allocated more um evenly so with that like there you go like if you bring both like our jewish people and our arabs together within israel then you know there would that commonality would be fostered also something that israel within israel they're doing well and in schools that integrate palestinians and Israelis that they we don't do in the U.S. is have meaningful integration. If you just throw kids together yeah. whose uh, ancestors and whose um, ethnic or religious or racial groups don't get along, you're not going to create like meaningful relationships and communication. Mm -hmm. You have to mm -hmm. put kids in schools together and then say, this is the issue. This is how we're going to try to address it. You can't just pretend mm -hmm. like w when schools were integrated in the U.S., they just – they just threw, threw them. kids of color into white schools and were like, good luck. You're here now. There and was mind no you, meaningful like, discussion. Created, exactly. It created a lot of humiliation um, mm -hmm. for lots of brown students, um, lots of bullying. It actually caused so many problems because we didn't talk about like the problem that separated them in the first place. That's why critical race theory needs <sighs> to be in the classroom. Yeah. Because you have to say, this is why you don't get along. Let's just be honest. Mm -hmm. Um you have to figure that out and discuss that with any age before you can move forward. Oh, and there's this really good bell hooks quote. Um, I don't know it verbatim, but I know um, what is happening is like the reason why also there's like so many divisions, especially sometimes even between um, colors, like people of color um, is because, you know, when you have a hierarchy, like white supremacy, they are basically like, giving certain people you know cookies i guess depending on how they act if they if they meet the white standard if they assimilate they you know 
get benefits. So that's why you have some things like, you know, the Asian um, model minority myth, Mm -hmm. Um, the idea that they are the model minority, but that was only created by white people to basically kind of like pit them against uh, black and brown people. And then um, you also have black and brown people sometimes, you know, having divisions themselves. And Bell Hooks had this quote basically saying that all these groups are basically trying to vie for attention and acceptance in a white supremacy. Um, and Context. So, exactly. Mm. And, like, that's why you can't just, just shove them all together because, you know, they're operating within a system. There's a hierarchical, like, system. And so that system needs to be addressed um, in order for, like, that fostering to work because if you put them all together, those problems are still there. Exactly. Like, people need to be together, but just pretending that putting them together is enough is not enough. Uh-huh. And I just like actually believe that if bilingual schools and shared education and integrated schools in Israel expanded, that would create a generation of people who wanted, all wanted change and knew how to work together and didn't Mm -hmm. need other governments coming in and, and playing puppeteer. And then I also believe in the US, if we first of all acknowledge the fact that we're super segregated, increased integration in schools and made that meaningful in the way that it is in Israel, where they say, we're coming together because you don't get along. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, That would improve a lot of things in the U.S. as well. And I do, yeah, and just, yeah, going back to, like, yeah, the integration thing. One more thing, Brown v. Board, which created, quote-unquote, integration in the United States. Integration didn't happen for many, 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 many years um if anything what brown v board did it created it just made it created white flight and then Mm -hmm. that's why we have so much segregation today um and so yeah like the those biases have to be addressed too like we need to acknowledge like where our biases lie like on both sides um in order for that process to work and a biased facilitator will not help them get there yeah and then on the issue of bias um, we, it's like not a secret or I don't know, we talk about the whitewashing of curriculum in the U S a lot. Mm-hmm. And the same thing happens here at not whitewashing, but the sugarcoating of, of textbooks, uh, the curriculum that Palestinian students learn and the curriculum that Israeli students learn tell their own narratives and their own perspectives and they reinforce a culture of divide and not any they do not promote peace or coexistence and even mm-hmm. happens within the Israeli education system Arab students and Jewish students learn different curriculums and if you're teaching kids different things that don't line up how are they going to get along exactly and that's why, like, there's a big problem with, like, curriculum in the United States. Like, it's so whitewashed um, that, like, you know, students are sitting there just, like, feeling disempowered or just not mm-hmm. acknowledged. And um, it's not culturally relevant for them. So the education has absolutely no um, no effect. Exactly. Um, it's alienating. It, it, it creates foster cultural conflict. Exactly. When you learn yeah. curriculum and content and history mm-hmm. that doesn't reflect you at all. Yeah. Especially when you have teachers who are also inflicting their own biases as well. Like my seventh grade teacher said that uh, the Civil War didn't happen because 
of slavery. It happened because the union wanted to preserve the union. It's like, no, it happened because of slavery. Like, and like, you're just trying to erase it. And I, like, and now we can't acknowledge, you know, like how slavery still has, imp- like how slavery impacts us still today. Um, specifically mm-hmm. black people today like you know it just those type of things and then we fail to then acknowledge you know the issues and then we start to make up reasons for why the issues are there and then that creates you know hate um so yeah we need an accurate depiction of history um and a i think consistent one across the board because i know like in the united states it's so different in each state state to state yeah yeah and it's like for example, Texas completely banned critical race theory, but California, you know, is learning something completely different. Like, where are we going to be as a country when we're all over the place? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so curriculum is is a part of the peace process, mm-hmm. I think. Schools, integration. It's just, it's hard because it's not like they don't exist and everyone wants to send their kids to integrated schools. They also, there's also a lot of people who don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Conservative people don't want that. I mean, yeah, with integration with Brown v. Board, uh, board, the parents took their kids out of the schools. So it's like, how are we going to get parents, the older generations, to to understand that, like, their kids can go to schools um, with kids that are different than them? And because that's that mutually happen. beneficial. Mm-hmm. Like, how can we educate the public and tell them that it is truly a benefit? Like, your kid will flourish. Mm-hmm. Something I also thought was interesting is... Um, so in Israel, Arab, Arab people learn Arabic, which is different when it's written, when it's written and spoken. Oh my God. I'm also jet lagged. PSA. Um, so that's two languages essentially. Then they learn English and Hebrew and Jewish Israelis only learn Hebrew English, Hebrew and English, and sometimes a little bit of Arabic. Um, So basically Arab Israelis know more about Hebrew and Jewish culture than Jews know about Arabic or Arab culture. And it's like just creates a gap. It's where like Arab students are trying to like finesse the Jewish Israeli culture and Jewish students just lack knowledge about other kids. And they've, there's been research on when Jewish kids learn Arabic, they have like a, they have warmer feelings towards Arabs and it helps with the, like basically the racism they experience when they hear Arabic. Because Mm -hmm. it's only associated with, like, terrorism or, like, somebody to be afraid of. Most Israelis have learned Arabic in the past when it has to do with joining, like, security, Mm -hmm. joining the IDF, um, joining the army, like, working for the police and being in, like, a counter-terrorist unit. Mm -hmm. So that, like, is an important part of the conflict that needs to be unlearned. Like even just the languages are such an issue. Like mm-hmm. Hebrew is prioritized in Israel over Arabic. See, like, yeah, language does foster community. Like that's why like bilingualism needs to be a, more of a thing in the United States because mm-hmm. it does foster. Like when I speak Spanish to one of my Spanish speaking parents, you do not understand the relief 
like the they happiness feel. they have the they that it, they feel closer now like to their child's like you know teacher and education um and you know it makes me think about like be, my parents being immigrants you know coming to this country um and they have to learn english and they need to learn english well you know and so now you know and it's cool like my parents are like bilingual my mom knows four languages like they have all this knowledge but the people that they speak to specifically you know people who are born and raised here um you know they they have no knowledge about you know our background or anything like that and um a lot of it is based off of just you know stereotypes and stuff like yeah. that like like and it's-, it's totally based on that like oh i'm from lebanon oh where is that middle east Ooh, like things mm-hmm. like that oh where's your accent from oh so exotic mm-hmm. like little things like that it's not meaningful and it does create division and then it makes us not want to interact with people like that and you know and so on and so forth like yeah and it's always the minority group has to learn the majority language mm-hmm. which makes sense obviously if a, if like there are national languages uh, countries have a language that's dominant but it creates a difficulty in understanding each other when we could be like utilizing languages. And I think language policy is a better thing that should be focused on by the Israeli government than coming up with peace plans that no one's invested in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How about teach all the Jewish kids Arabic? Yeah. But it's like, it's all for an agenda in the end, because like, if you think about, um, the United States, the common school was created, and that's basically the basis for the public school system we have here. Um, and it's essentially it was to, you know, assimilate um, the newly annexed New Mexico, Arizona, California, basically Mexicans into the United States and basically whitewash them. And one of the biggest things was no Spanish is to be spoken. And of course, the, the remnants and the effects of that are very negative. You know, you're completely removing someone's culture and then creating internalized hate for their own culture. Mm. Um, so, yeah, language needs to be... Like, people don't understand how important language is to some people um, and what that can do and how, how that fosters, like, community and, and then opportunity when you can communicate with more groups of people and then, you know, you get commonality. But, you know, in the end, sometimes you have to think about, like, what are the who benefits from this division? Do you have an answer to that? <laughs> I mean, I can I think specifically, I mean, in my opinion, like I think the Israeli government specifically benefits from this because they can build um on more and more lands if they have the support of people who hold um these biases. Mm-hmm. Um and but if their people feel like they want community the Israeli government won't be able to do what they're doing. They won't be able to continue this if the people feel like, oh my gosh, this is wrong. Like these are our people. Like we are all from here. Also, this is a little bit random. I just feel like I have to say this because again, I don't know if I mentioned this in the other two episodes on Israel and Palestine, Mm -hmm. but like there's the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and then there's a lot of conflict within Israel. So the Israeli mm-hmm. educational system is divided into sectors. So the yes. Jewish sector, the secular Jewish sector, the Arab sector, the Orthodox sector. Um, so there's se- segregation in schools within the country. And so another like aspect of, of the quote-unquote peace process is bridging the divide between 
Israeli, Jewish Israelis and Arab Israelis. So it's more complex than just Palestinians and Wait, Israelis. So to be clear, like there is no so Arab Israelis and um, secular Jewish Israelis, for example, like they they're not allowed to go to school together. They go to school in separate sectors. In separate sectors. And then and there are school. schools separate from the government-run school sectors gotcha. that, yeah, are like the bilingual schools or um, and they're like separate hand from in government. hand. Yeah, and those okay. are separate, and parents have to like choose to send their kids to those. Gotcha. The shared education program, shout out to one of my awesome teachers, um, is interesting because that is partnerships between Arab and Jewish schools within the Israeli education system who come together for English lessons. So that's Ooh. touching the actual segregated sectors. I think that needs to be more widely implemented because it doesn't require having parents say, I'm going to send my kid to an integrated school, which is not going to be the most common decision. And it's usually mm-hmm. liberal Jewish parents and then Arab parents who want their kids to get a good education. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you start doing the shared English classes in the Arab w- between the Arab schools and the Jewish schools, you're getting that integration and like the cooperation and communication without having to have all the schools be integrated, which ultimately would be awesome, but it's not going to happen overnight. Mm-mm. No, and that gets a good segue to like, how do you make all this happen? All oh, blah blah blah. We cannot make this happen. No one else can make this happen. Un- the only people that can make it happen are the people of Israel yeah. and Palestine. Yeah. Them. The people who have been there, from there, born there, lived there their whole lives. Them. Um, and that's it. Like I and from there, I, I don't know what it how it would start, what it would look like, you know, because I'm not from the community, but they are the decision makers in this. But they I think the thing that for sure does have to happen. It just fostering of community, foster that yeah. community. Um, exactly. Because, I don't know why it's not the conversation. And I think it's yeah, it's all about grassroots. Because I think about people like, for example, Stacey Abrams. She completely made a red state like Georgia blue. She got all these voting out voters out, despite the voter suppression that was happening there. And through grassroots organizing, um, AOC, very, you know, young and experienced, you know, never ran for Congress, you know, didn't have a background, got that seat um, through grassroots organizing. It just bringing the community together, finding a common ground. And I think in the end, everyone in Israel and Palestine just wants to be safe. So mm-hmm. I think they just need to be educated and, you know, by, you know, their community members, by people they trust. Yeah, I don't know why this feels so, like, revolutionary to me. Like, I I feel like I have thought this and never just said it out loud. I just, like, don't understand why the peace process is always about governments and, like, plans for splitting the land. And there's not, like, wide-scale movements towards – like, people say coexist. But how will – Palestinians and Israelis coexist when you redraw the lines of their states if they've never interacted with each other. Mm-hmm. Like, that's where money and effort should be going. If, if the U.S. wants to get involved, start saying, 
we're going to take money from you guys unless you or like give you less money unless you start integrating your schools or unless you invest in this um, education model or mm-hmm. this curriculum reform. Clearly, I'm obsessed with education. I just like I don't understand why that's not the focus of of inter- the international community. Because the international community doesn't care about <laughs> Israel or Palestine; they care about their own interests. Like nations have mm-hmm. interests, not friends. Like people always like allies. No, we don't give a sh- crap about those any anyone else but ourselves. That's how every mm-hmm. country operates. Um, so that's why it's like, yeah, the United States would never try to foster education because then they'll they'll get turned on like like if if, you know israel and palestine gets to a point where they coexist they probably would look at the united states and be like oh my god y'all kind of suck you know (laughs) like we're not going to be your representative uh of the middle east anymore like you guys are shady so the united states doesn't want them to in the end i true i do believe this is my opinion based off what i've read and what i know about history and it's like the United States doesn't want peace in Israel. Um, this benefits them. You um, just dropped a bomb. Yeah. The U.S. doesn't want peace in the Middle East. Like, they don't want peace in the Middle East because they want to access the resources in the, in the Middle East. And the only way they can do that if it's the Middle East is in chaos. Um, yeah. And that's, like, with imperialism. They were able to do that because they created chaos. They for them Freaking dark. Steal from them. That so, is, and, like that's across history for thousands of years. That's what everyone does. Um, so I, that has to be acknowledged. Like everyone mm-hmm. needs to just be like, folk, yeah, Israel, Palestine. And that goes back to your point that, or our point that, real change and and efforts for peace have to be made by Israelis and Palestinians and mm-hmm. Arab Israelis and Jewish Israelis, mm-hmm. um, and not outside governments. Yeah. Who don't Absolutely understand the situation not. and who aren't invested for genuine reasons. Yeah. Even if they are, like, even if there are some diplomats who really want there to be peace, like, ultimately, governments involved from the outside have their own agendas. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. And that's like, I did take a class called, um, oh man, Immorality. In international relations, like, yeah, like, is there morality in international relations? Like, how can we foster that? I mean, there are many, many ways to look at it. But it's like, one of the biggest things is like, we ended it with like, there's not necessarily like a lot of morality in international relations, because it's very hard to create some good when you're going into unfamiliar, you know, cultures, Um, which is why United Nations, like, doesn't work. I mean, the United Nations doesn't work because of the the permanent members of the Security Council, which are China, Russia, the United States, France, and England. Remember the uh, League of Nations? Sorry, I just need to say that. Uh-huh. Exactly. League of Nations. Hashtag create a world. So <laughs> it doesn't work. It just doesn't, especially like when you have the five countries in the Security Council who won't let any decision pass if one says no. Yeah. Like those five. If one of them says no, like let's say the United States is creating genocide like they did in the past. Like, they can say, no, don't do anything about it. And then they have to abide because the five members of Security Council say whatever they say goes. So, you know, international relations would never work because of that. But also because we, uh, I won't understand what's happening. I can't go in and fix China. I, I, that's not my culture. You know, the United States can't go into 
one place and you know fix it like we, yeah. we don't know the cultures which is why there's technically not a lot of morality in international relations because we we have to mind our own business we have to stay on our own lane in order for us to actually get anywhere um we can't go into places that we don't understand we can seek to understand but don't f- try to fix something that you don't get. We can seek to understand. That was a wonderful sentence. <laughs> so basically there's we just we we glossed over government efforts for peace, government uh controlled plans. Um we said we weren't going to talk about the one ta- one state two state solutions this episode too much because Ultimately, I think we both agree that you're never going to have everyone agree on one, first of all. Mm-hmm. And I don't think one is right and one is wrong. Um, the bottom line is, if not everyone, if not the majority of Palestinians and Israelis are invested in the solution, it's not going to work. And why yeah. would they be actually invested in the solution if they don't know each other? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's like why. we can't Where even talk comes about in. it. Yeah, that cause the, like the three one state two can't can't even talk about it until like the people, not the governments, the people can come together and discuss. Yeah. So yeah, education. There you go. Education solves everything. Mm-hmm. It's done right. Change starts with education. <sighs> All right. I, even though I have my own beef with Teacher America, yes, changes <laughs> start with education. Thank you for giving me that quote because it's true. Yeah, <laughs> it's so true. And then there's the grassroots movements, which there are literally so many. I feel like people have heard of Seeds of Peace and Peace Now. A new one to me is the Israel slash Palestine Center for Research and Information. There's mm-hmm. Combatants for Peace, which we talked about in the context of a paragon. Mm-hmm. I mean, With the Sam and Rami, who are part of. Yeah, doing their own peace movement. There's, I mean, there's so many things happening. I'm also just like, then why is, I don't know. But at the same time, these things, like, I think those, those organizations are, I guess you can say in the grand scheme of like organizing, they are relatively new, like, like new as in like maybe the past, I would say 20 years or something like that. Are they? The ones I just like mentioned, yeah. basically. Yeah. Twenty years. Or maybe well, maybe even like no, younger. It's already twenty twenty. Yeah. No, no, no. Like I would say I don't know. Actually. Mm-hmm. Cause I think, yeah, like and then of course, like when it comes to organizing, that stuff takes a while. Like a while. Especially, you know, when a lot of like Israel and Palestine, like with Palestine, like a lot of it is inaccessible sometimes to certain groups so it's hard to like create community when like you can't even access like the Mm -hmm. gaza strip or like the west bank or not the west bank um yeah gosh yeah the west bank yeah yeah so like some Um, of these are like inaccessible so it's like super hard to create community there too yeah so we have to acknowledge that as well this is a little bit uh repetitive but can i just read something that i read that i feel like is pretty all-encompassing of, like, the issue of why the peace process doesn't work. So, first of all, the power of Israel and its own interests in security and stability um, influences peace agreements, not 
the government's concern for the human rights mm-hmm. and justice mm-hmm. for Palestinians. Mm-hmm. I'm paraphrasing what I'm reading. Mm-hmm. Um, second, the Palestinian Authority, which is the Palestinian government in the occupied territories, focuses on Palestinian statehood and the right that they have to for national self-determination, not on their own people's basic human rights, uh, mm-hmm. civil and political, economic, social. So the Oslo peace process ended up with the establishment of Palestinian authorities in the West Bank and Gaza, like you just said, which are abusing the human rights of the Palestinian people mm-hmm. in addition to the Palestinian people's human mm-hmm. rights being abused by Israel. They're exploiting then, the situation. Exactly. Yeah. And then lastly, like we mentioned earlier, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is generally defined um, by the international community as a territorial conflict, leaving human rights and to the side, like not addressed in negotiations. See, and there you go. Like it kind of when you mentioned that, like the the peace process is based on like interests. Like I saw this. Um, I will. I would love to quote this, but. Majority of policies that are passed in the United States, specifically on the federal level, majority of them are not based on what uh, this is like, I think a no brainer for people, but not based on the population. They're based on special interests. Like, I think 80% of policies are completely not based on popular opinion whatsoever. It's completely based on um, special interest groups. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's the United States. So our policies, the ones that are being passed, the reason why we're so angry and not being cared for is because they're not passing these policies for us, the people. They're being passed for these special interests and these lobbyists and all these type of stuff. And and I'm I'm really glad that you mentioned that because, like, when we talk about the peace process, yeah, and we need to get rid of the idea of, like, special interests and, you know, like, money. Like, it is actually about, like, people, the people that we need to address the human rights problems. It's not about land and. I mean, I know, and like I know, it is about land, but it's it's not just about land. You can write something down on paper that looks like it makes perfect sense for every side involved in regards to land. But if first of all, if if human rights are still being violated, and secondly, if there's no interaction between the conflicted parties, the piece of paper that has a perfect plan is never going to work. Exactly. So, like, yeah, if we come up with a two-state solution tomorrow. The conflict would not end. Exactly, because we that's yeah. happened before. Exactly. We've come up with solutions before, and the reason they don't last is because people aren't, tr- like, invested in each other's peace. Exactly. Like, yes, so, Israelis yeah. want to live in peace and Palestinians want to live in peace. I-, I don't know how many truly care about the other side living in peace. And I'm not saying that means they actively want mm-hmm. them to live mm-hmm not in peace, but it's like, how can you genuinely be invested in a people that you don't know? Mm-hmm. Like, that's what the conversations need to be about. Everything I've been seeing is like, apartheid, get them out, stop, like, urgh, like separate, like, leave them alone. Like, it doesn't work that way. Also, like, if you do that, if you end the occupation of the territories, where does that leave the Palestinian people? Not in a good place. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not that that occupation shouldn't be ended. That should be a goal. But it doesn't solve any anyone's problem, actually. Yeah. Like, what do you do when, like, because right now in Palestine, it's like not they don't really have much control over, like, like, where are they going to get their money? How are they going to make their money? Where are they going to get their jobs? Like, all this type of stuff. Like, they're basically that country would have to start 
completely from scratch. And countries that start like that completely from scratch, they suffer for a really, really long time. So, yeah. like, we're not even talking about how they're going to be cared for. Like, what resources, you know, I mean, they have resources there, but it's like, you know, how are we going to ensure that the Palestinian Authority is going to actually care for their people? Because they haven't at all, you know, recently, um, since the beginning. So, like, are they going to yeah. care for the people with the, when they have their own country? I don't know. Yeah. You know, so, like, well, those things need to be considered. So, yeah, like, Tuesday, Wednesday, yeah, that is after. beside our point. I think mm-hmm. yeah, we I, like we said we weren't going to like promote a solution because I don't think there is one right one. But where but effort should lie consider. should be in education mm-hmm. and economic yeah. prosperity for mm-hmm. Palestinians. But not and- once have I seen anyone talk about, oh my god, we need to educate you know the people of Israel and Palestine. No one's saying that. Like no one. Everyone's no. like you know punish punish everyone no it does it just doesn't work that way like it starts with the community no one's even talking about you know what the people of israel and palestine should do you know how they should do it like the government's not going to stop they're going to stop when they need to stop when they're told to stop when they have an incentive to stop there's no incentive to stop when everyone when their people are just fighting each other yeah when it's as long as it's rare for a palestinian and israeli to be friends Uh uh-huh this doesn't end exactly i in my uh, yeah you that was actually perfectly well said thank you i just thought of it like that that's perfect (laughs) exactly okay that's so i don't know do you have any closing thoughts that was mine i guess that was like such a good closing thought like that was great like just community everybody like find a way to love each other and educate each other listen to each other and even though that may sound difficult, do it and treat others how you want to be treated. Be kind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, it's a good one. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Tune in on our next episode. We will figure out soon, but it'll probably be on indigenous rights. Maybe Down for that. Yeah. Good All for right. post-Thanksgiving. Post-Thanksgiving. All right. Peace out. Have a great Sunday.